In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Four years ago, my brother and sister-in-law, along with their four kids, were getting up on a Sunday morning to go to church. My sister-in-law went around the house waking the kids, and for the most part, no one gave them any grief at all. But when she came to the four-year-old and told her it was time to wake up, she wanted none of it. No, she said. My sister-in-law gently explained that it was time to pay a visit to God's house. It was Sunday. God's house? She asked. Yes, my sister-in-law responded. When we go to church, we go to God's house. So my niece thought about it for a minute. And then she said, but mom, I don't want to live with God. I want to live at Disneyland. <laughs> well, there it is. But honestly, many of us are always creating similar kinds of scenarios in our minds about where we want to be, where we want to live, what kind of plans we can make that are going to take us to a place where we will live happily ever after. A house and a car and 2.5 kids, a fence, a real chain link, a patio on the grill, and a disposal in the sink. Yes, sir, this is life. This is pure bliss. Happily ever after, it is. But is life ever really like that? Well, sure, at times we have great moments of fulfillment and happiness, moments of joy and wonder. We encounter love and belonging. We need to cherish the things that excite and satisfy and delight us. We need to celebrate our accomplishments. But is life ever really totally like this? Not all the time. Life is full of ups and downs, and the only constant in our lives is that things change, and they change constantly. They change all the time. Transitions and leaving and finding and saying goodbye and discovering and then letting go Life has all this kind of stuff. But transitions are hard, and we don't like them. Sometimes we don't want to change. This can be personal, and this can also be institutional. Some institutions, religious, governmental, educational, political, decide that they will be the same forever and they refuse to change anything. And then what happens? They decline, or they die out altogether. There's a consequence to not changing, but we still don't want to change. We are often unwilling to take steps to change the things that are inhibiting us from the fullest life possible. We would rather keep and hold on to the familiar things that stand in our way of full love and belonging more than remove them and face the unknown. 
We want to hold on somehow to these barriers to full incorporation, these barriers to our wildest and best potential, these restraints of growth and development and maturation. We'd rather hold on to these as prized possessions than face whatever is ahead in the unknown. But we still don't know what's ahead either way. We can't predict the future, but we still hold on and we avoid change. This isn't really the way of being a disciple of Jesus, though. It's not easy, but holding on to the past isn't holding on to Jesus. About 15 years ago, when I was finally given the green light by the Diocese of Los Angeles to go to seminary and begin my studies for ordination, I was given a choice of several schools to attend. All of them were on the East Coast, and all of them would require me to move away from my life that I had carefully and painstakingly set up for myself. All of the goals and hopes and dreams that I had established for my life in Los Angeles would have to be uprooted. Many of my personal possessions would have to be sold. Many of my close friendships would have to forever change because I was leaving and going away to school. I was leaving them. And even though I wanted to go to seminary, I don't think I've ever been angrier in my entire life. I was so furious at God for making me leave. I had finally found a community of people whom I loved and who I knew loved me for exactly the person who I was. I found a church where I had never felt so at home in my entire life. I had established rapport with my neighbors and with businesses in my neighborhood. And I had the entire playground of Southern California at my fingertips. And yet, I had to say goodbye to it all. It was more than I could really stand to think about. I was so mad. But a good friend talked me down. He referenced part of today's passage of scripture where Jesus is telling the crowd to not get too tied down, to not be so in love with what you have that you can't see what God actually has in store for you. My friend told me that there's an aspect of life that requires us to take risks, to walk away sometimes from things that we hold most dearly to, to our security, to our familial ties, to our possessions, to our networks, to our connections, that we have to walk away from them to find something and to encounter something new about ourselves, something even better. This was, this was so hard, but my friend was right, and Jesus' teaching was so right. If I hadn't been willing to take those steps and to embrace the change, the transition, my life would not be at all what it is today, a life that is far more full, far more engaging, far more exciting, far more meaningful with so many wonderful people. And while that's my story, you have a story like this too. You have a story of change, of transition, of letting things go. Sometimes things that we don't let go of by our own choice. 
but plenty of stories of having to change and then finding something new and entirely different. Something that we might encounter at times and call beloved and blessed. And our gospel invites us to take our personal encounters of transition and change and then put on this gospel lens of looking at today's world and just what might be going on. People are clinging to things that they believe give them security when they in fact do not. Some take a stance that they're unwilling to see society transition and become something more diverse, more blended, more abundant, and so they go unwillingly into the future, unwillingly. Some want to hold on to institutional barriers that keep them in the status quo, keep them experiencing the status quo, whether or not it will eventually destroy them. They're still comfortable. Some simply cannot see a different way of life, a better way, the way of Jesus, the way of love. And our second reading today gives us a perfect example of what this looks like. It's one of my favorite readings because of its ability to teach us. This letter to Philemon, one of the shortest books in the Bible. In the first century when this letter was written, institutional slavery was the norm. There was no concept of life without it. No one, not even St. Paul, could understand a world where slavery did not exist. But Paul knows Jesus. And Paul understands that Jesus' way of love takes us places that our intellect and our wildest dreams can't yet even imagine. So in Paul's letter to Philemon, he writes his wealthy slave owner friend Philemon about this runaway slave named Onesimus. Apparently, Onesimus has been very helpful to Paul while he's in prison. But Onesimus is afraid of punishment when he returns. Paul writes this letter describing Onesimus as his own heart. His own heart. And he begs Philemon to not only take him back without punishment, but to realign his status in the family and to call him instead a beloved brother, to welcome Onesimus in the same way that Philemon would welcome Paul as an equal, as a fellow disciple. And what our reading omits is that towards the end of this letter is that Paul tells Philemon that once he's out of prison, he's coming back to visit. And he wants to check in that this request has actually happened. This is extraordinary. In a world that they lived in that did not understand equality like we do now, in a world where some people were just classified as slaves and other people were free, Paul has this insight and this vision. He has the heart and has the capacity to insist that Onesimus, the runaway slave, is indeed his brother. And that Philemon, the slave owner, needs to shed his ownership and make Onesimus free forever. 
This is revolutionary. But when Christ's love and the way of Jesus' love is at the center, Jesus sets everything free. Those barriers and barricades of, well, it's an institution, or we've always done it this way, those barriers come tumbling down. And the barriers to our well-being and maturation make way for a new world order that we can't even see just yet. Those times of holding on to our personal security as the most prized possession gets unraveled and the new life and the new hope and the new liberty that we find in the kingdom of God comes pouring in upon us to bless us. So now it's our turn to imagine. What are our barriers? What are the things we believe we just cannot let go of, but yet must let go of for our own spiritual, mental, and physical survival? What do we hope for on the other end? What do we hope for? A fence that is chain-linked, a grill on the patio, and a disposal in the sink? Or do we hope for living at Disneyland? Or do we want something, something actually better? Something even more? That something even more may not have a face today. We may not know. We may not know what the more is. But Jesus promises, and St. Paul even demonstrates, that if we live in that kingdom of God reality, in that place where we can be open to new promises, new light, new love, if we can be there, if we can believe that there is more, Jesus' way of love will give you more. Jesus' way of love will bring you more. Jesus' way of love will reveal a new life, a new life that you have never imagined, but it's the life that you've always wanted. Jesus' way of love will be brought into your life. It's time to dream that dream. It's time to shed things and to put them away. It's time to make the brand new, beautiful tomorrow of Disneyland something even better. A humble walk, a walk of doing justice with a merciful God that leads you to goodness and mercy that follows you all the days of your life. And then, yes, you will dwell and be dwelling, and I dare say living, you will be living with God in the house of the Lord forever in your greatest life imaginable. Shed your old ways and dream a bigger dream, a dream of Jesus' way of love. <laughs>